0: In a kind of mini-series, really, over this summer break, and uh, really we're looking at um, recent I mean, what well, I mean by recent, over the last 150 years or so, uh, fairly recent uh, movements that really have happened in the church and across the churches that have affected the sort of church we are, the sort of church we believe God's called us to. And so we're looking at our roots, really that go back and found it. It didn't just start when King's Church started 40-plus years ago, but actually there's some pretty deep roots that feed and nourish uh, the sort of passion we've got for what we believe God's called us to. And, um, and today, I'm going to take you to 1966. Oh, I just thought, what happened in 1966? Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Um, I, it was 1966. And, uh, and I still remember the impact and the atmosphere of going to what was one of London's largest exhibition centres then, called Earl's Court. And it was a setting for a month's worth of meetings by an American evangelist called Billy Graham. And in fact, he uh, did meetings every night uh, apart from Sunday nights. Capacity, 14,000. And still as a a very young lad going to those meetings, or to some of them, I can still remember the impact of seeing Car Park, that huge Car Park filled with hundreds of coaches. And then once or twice, uh, I'd be on the underground and seeing the underground packed full of people wanting to go and hear this American evangelist preach. And what did they hear? They heard, very simply, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ could change lives and literally impact people. And at part of that meeting, there, would be a, a, there was a 2,000 voice choir so for many, many people, you went into this setting and they experienced praise and worship in a way perhaps had never experienced in their life before. It was the Billy Graham crusade. Just to give you a taste of it, by courtesy of Pathé News, here we go. Hey. The fame of the evangelist had preceded him. For about 20,000 people, Earl's Court was the mecca on a summer evening. They were drawn by the magnetic power of Billy Graham. To the young, the message of the revivalist was again being proclaimed. Also to the elderly, the halt, and the blind. All answering his spiritual exhortation. It's a great delight and privilege for us to be back in London again tonight and to begin this crusade on this historic night because tonight is the culmination of months of planning, praying, and organization. Thousands of people representing every denomination in Britain have participated in the preparation of this crusade. Millions of Christians all over the world tonight are praying for us. They are praying that a torch will be lighted in London during this month of June that will give spiritual and moral light to a world that is rapidly plunging in darkness. Billy Graham's appeal to people to come forward to make a decision for Christianity brought a ready response. The power of his fervent oratory drew nearly 500 to the platform. This remarkable preacher had opened his great London crusade. Thank so much, Malcolm. This, this was the mid-60s. Okay? It was the period that would become characterized by really pop culture, by a, a real revolution in sexual ethics, uh, a real rejection of God's ways, and a real embracing of real modernist thinking. It was kind of the world was going one way, and then Billy Graham and his team, they arrived in London to actually just declare truth as it is, pure, simple truth. In fact, at the end of the crusade, they ended up in the old Wembley Stadium, and, uh, and there they gathered 94,000 people, and they reckon about 40,000 people made decisions for Jesus Christ, that month. It was a remarkable time set against a backdrop of of, of really just godly foundations being eroded in our society. And as you saw in the video clip, at the end of each meeting, Billy Graham would make that appeal and literally first a few and then many more and then streams of people will come forward to make, to give their lives to Jesus Christ. Remarkable. It's good to see that. Billy Graham. So it all began, he was born November 7th, 1918. And he's born on a North Carolina dairy farm in the States. And as he grew up, it's at the time of the Great Depression. So he grew up through hard times in the world. And actually, he lived to almost 100. He died in his 99th year, or in his 100th year, and, uh, and throughout that time, you think of the world-shaking and the world-changing events that he lived through. And he was, to me, many of the world leaders in those times, leaders of the free world, uh, leaders of Western nations, but actually communist leaders. He were, God re- opened some remarkable doors for him to just meet people personally. There was the Huge crusades on one hand, and on the other hand, there's some very personal encounters with world leaders of the time. Even our queen uh, would, 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 would say that, she, that he gave him uh, clear spiritual counsel. Yet the biggest moment in his life was when he was almost 16, and it's fascinating just to Kind of put this at the end of the youth camp and hear what Dave's just shared. When he was 16 and what Penny's just shared, when he was 16, he went, he'd been brought up in a God fearing family, and he went to his first crusade meeting. It was a campaign meeting led by someone called Mordecai Ham. Well, a fabulous name, isn't it? Mordecai Ham, okay? I thought Bayer was a bad enough surname. Imagine being called Ham, okay? So anyway, Mordecai Ham, and he'd set up a tent, he'd preach the gospel, and somehow Billy Graham found himself there, and something impacted him. Originally, it wasn't so much the message, but it was the power. He would later reflect on it by saying he was being impacted by the power of the Holy Spirit. Something was happening in those meetings. And then just after... Uh, his 16th birthday, he'd actually, having gone to a few of the meetings, he became aware of his own sinfulness, his own rebellion. Although brought up in a God-fearing family, he'd never heard preaching, he'd never heard about hell, and he'd realized his own rebellious ways, a bit like uh, hearing about the prodigal son, even this morning. And there was that meeting where Mordecai Ham, I'm going to keep saying that name, use it this week in conversation, please. Okay, Mordecai Ham preached from Romans 5, verse 8, and he preached this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What a passionate, what a fabulous verse, what a powerful verse, Nutshell of the gospel: While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that evening, Modica—I don't oh, know—Billy Graham, Billy Graham went forward to the sound of the song, and it's important to see there's a real connection with worship to the sound of the song. Just as I am, without one plea, that that thy blood was shed for me and that thou bidst me come to thee O Lamb of God I come I come and Billy Graham received Christ and he would say that intellectually I accepted Christ to the uh, to the amount that I knew about him to be true there was mental assent emotionally I wanted to love him in return for his love for me. So it's that emotional response. But the final issue, the final issue was whether I would turn myself over to his rule in my life. And his life changed from that moment. And he felt the call of God to preach and to preach the gospel. That more see Mordecai Ham do it. He felt God called him to be an evangelist. And, and one night, he walked in the woods praying about that. And he said, God, in this world where so many voices are influencing the world, I need to know what I can trust. And God clearly spoke to him about the Bible. And he made this commitment. He said, Father, I'm going to accept this as thy word. By faith. I am going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts, and I will believe this to be your inspired word. And if you've ever seen, I know some of you might even been there, nineteen sixty-six or subsequent crusade, you would see he'd always be preaching like this. You know, he'd always be opening the Bible. He had no other message apart from what the Bible said. And he gave himself to that call. And you read stories that he'd go in the woods as a young man and preach to the trees. He went to the canoe and he preached on the middle of the lake to the fish. He just preached, he preached, he preached. And he gave himself to learn, he preached. He did go to Bible college for a while, but he knew God had called him to proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And he started his first campaign and his crusade, and very quickly, they grew. In fact, one of his first crusades abroad was to Europe. And he had a a real connection with England. He felt God put England or, or, or the British Isles very firmly in his heart, and he had come to England. He went to Scotland he preached to nearly two hundred and fifteen million people in person. Two hundred and fifteen million in person. And that's a part, and onto that you put all the radio and the television. Millions. There's been no one who's preached the gospel to so many people he went to 185 countries. It's a remarkable story. That's part of most of our, (laughs) some of our lifetimes. But he was also able to win the confidence of those in power, state leaders, presidents, in private meetings. So, Having shared a little bit of an overview, what are some of the headlines that can challenge us and kind of feed our our root system, to put it in that way? But first of all was this. He knew he was God's servant first. He knew he was answerable to God. That was the commitment he made as a 16-year-old. And he lived by that. There was a, a, a fabulous... TV interview that saw whenever it happened way back, but it was on British TV news, when actually Billy Graham had been invited to preach at Windsor and to the Queen and to some of her invited guests. And afterwards, the TV presenter asked him the question, you know, well, what was it like to preach in front of the Queen of England? And in a very humble but very bold way, he said, Listen, he said, Every day I speak before the King of Kings. And he wasn't being clever, he lived without awareness. He served God. There was a deep commitment to personal integrity. And one of the sadness, as you read around the story, in those early years, there were a number of evangelists that God was really anointing to preach the gospel to nations. And tragically, a number of their lives ended in shipwreck through either moral failure, through financial failure, corruptness, even through alcoholism, through all sorts of stuff that some of those early promising young evangelists They just lost their way. But Billy Graham was committed to actually making his walk fit the talk, to living out the gospel in his own personal life. And throughout his long, long life, he really had clear personal boundaries in terms of finance, in terms of his relationship. With other women, he was married to Ruth, and he was very careful and put very clear boundaries in how he related to our other ladies. And he invited openness and transparency by forming the Evangel- Billy Graham Evangelistic, whatever, organization, that's it. And, and by setting that up, that invited people to look into the finances because literally millions of dollars would have gone through it. He was committed to personal integrity. There was a faithfulness. It, he ran his race with integrity and faith to the end. He knew the importance of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And there's a, a little known story, but when in the early days, one of his earlier trips to England... He went to some meetings at a place called Hildenborough Hall in Kent. Now, as a personal aside, that was literally up the road from where we used to live. You used to look out our bedroom window and see Hildenborough Hall. But he went there, and there was a a, a well-known preacher at that time called Dr. Stephen Alford, and he was speaking on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And by his own admission, Billy Graham would say, I knew I was lacking something. And following that time, he had some personal meetings with Stephen Olford in Wales. And they spent a couple of days together, and they ended up with them both on their knees together, just seeking God, and Billy Graham asking, God, fill me with your spirit. And these are Billy Graham's words. He says this, that all heaven broke loose in that dreary little room. He said, my heart is so flooded with the Holy Spirit. I have it. I'm filled. I'm filled. And then he went on to preach in a local church in Wales, and the report is almost everyone went forward. Such was the presence of the Holy Spirit, and Stephen Alford would say that his preaching to t- t- change from that day on. That, the necessity of team. Often, I talked about Billy Graham, Billy Graham, Billy Graham, that's the title. but actually the reality is, although he was the public, he, you know, he was the front of something, and the most known public figure, he had a very strong team that stuck with him throughout, thick and thin, throughout everything. People like Grady Wilson, another evangelist, very close personal friend, Cliff Barrows, who led that 2000 voice choir and who really organised worship as being part of the crusades and making it central. George Beverly Shea had his wonderful singing voice, soloist, and he would lead people in such worshipful songs. He built a team and there were many others, and of course his wife, Ruth, Billy Graham said this, that one of his secrets was a band of brothers and sisters committed to Christ and to our ministry whose support, advice, counsel, work, and prayers through the years have made it all possible. I could not have done it alone. And he speaks of times when the team will correct him or challenge him. But he also, and do try to read some of his autobiography, they had great fun together. They knew how to be friends together. And in all of that was the priority of worship. And as you saw in that clip, that congregational worship, it was a huge part. And people would hear praise, like, how great they are, and all hail... The power of Jesus' name, Just As I Am, became a real signature tune as people came forward to receive Christ. Although, interestingly, in 1966, the press had said that actually that was being used emotionally. So they choose not to use that as the response song and, and actually just sat and waited in silence. And they saw people just flop forward. Been other crusades just as I am. Songs got etched into people's hearts. A once for on blessed assurance Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, 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 of God born of his spirit, washed in his blood. That's it, that's the gospel. People went away from these meetings having through song, kind of landed the gospel, what happened to their lives. And literally there were stories after stories back in that London crusade where people would come out of the meetings, go in the tube, in the underground, and literally the underground trains would just resound with these songs. People singing, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. I mean, it's quite remarkable. Billy Graham in his later years was to reflect on that time and he said, I just wonder, I just wonder, if we'd stayed longer, would revival have broken out? These are part of our roots. And then the message, he was totally, totally unashamed of the gospel. He was convinced it was the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Everyone. Churchgoers, criminals, pop stars, presidents, prostitutes, film stars, the famous, the overlooked, the downtrodden, it was the same message. In person, or to thousands or at times even millions. He preached unashamedly the words that you saw on the banner behind that crusade. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth. I am the the life. That was his life first. And in fact, he's over his headstone. Fascinating. In 1981, Cheryl and I were visiting really good friends in Calgary, uh, Ontario, Canada, Calgary, Canada, and uh, holiday. And it just so happened Billy Graham was in town doing a crusade. And by then, I'd started to preach, I, I was a, a leader in a local church in Kent, near Oldenborough, strangely, and, uh, and, and, and I went intrigued, we all agreed to go, the four of us, two couples, you know, we decided to go, and I was intrigued, I went more, kind of thought, oh, I wonder how he's going to preach, I wonder what he's going to preach, I was going with that kind of mindset, and he preached on, you must be born again. And I can remember thinking, I wonder how many thousands of times he's preached in that verse. And then, actually, to be honest, I was slightly disappointed. Because it was just so simple. It was just so simple. I, I was looking, saying, there's more to it. It was just so simple. I t- can tell you the main point you must be born again. And I remember this thought going through my mind as he finished his preaching and he made his appeal and thought, well, maybe he wasn't so on form tonight. And we sat there in that open-air stadium and literally just began to watch streams of people receive Christ. He knew the power of the gospel in people's lives. Earlier, I I referenced what was happening in the 1960s. In the 2020s, which is where we live right now, all those seeds of thinking and the, the sexual revolution, the pop culture, the modernism, the rejection of God's ways, all those seeds now in the 2020s have, are rampant. We now live in the jungle of them. What's our need today? Face with that, what's our need? It's the preaching of the gospel. It's the assurance of, that it's this same gospel people need to hear today as they did then. And what can we learn from Billy Graham? Well, I think we can make that decision ourselves to serve God first. That's why I read that, that quote about knowing the rule of Jesus in our life, that it is Jesus is Lord, his Saviour and Lord. We make that decision. We guard our own hearts. Personal our own personal integrity matters. What we do in private, it matters to the witness of the gospel. Our relationship with 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 money, with sex, with power, with all those things, it matters. Personal integrity matters. the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You know, we've just gone through this season, haven't we, of really focusing on the power and the gifts and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We need to hear what Billy Graham said. You know, mightily gifted, but he knew he was lacking something. We need to go on being filled and filled again with the Holy Spirit. We need to know the importance of team. This church... It's team. And in that, we need to build friendships where we can challenge one another, encourage one another, in at times, correct one another. But let's have fun together. Let's build friendship. And you can't do that to everyone in the same level, but you can do that at different levels across the church. We're not called to be lone Christians. God puts us as part of a wider team, the church. Let's see the importance of worship. There's wonderful songs being singing, and we're going to sing just in a moment's time. Now we're going to sing. Let's see. It's not just singing; is expressing the truths of what is now true for us in Christ. It's gospel truth that we we express. And they're wonderful ways to etch the reality of what God's doing into our own lives. But also, let's be convinced of this. Now, I don't think, you know, we go into our workplaces these days or wherever going, you know, literally holding the Bible. But we can take biblical truth, store it in our heart, and it's like it's there, ready for us to live and to share. Let's see our unique calling. Okay, we've had a couple of testimonies this morning of a youth camp on the streets, literally, just the other night. God's going to give different settings for every one of us, Let's be convinced of the gospel. That's why we're here. It's to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those who need to know it. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's, pray for, uh, let's just pray for ourselves, and then uh, and Graham Phoebe and, and Ricardo, we're going we're to just have a couple more songs that express some of these truths. If you're able to, let's stand. Okay, for you. Father, we just thank you that, Lord, you've done, Lord, when we read about those, that, that Crusade 66 and there were other ones after that, and Lord, that you did remarkable things in those times. Lord, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we went around the room now, there'd be people who'd have their own stories to tell of people who got saved at those, at, at, in that period. Lord, I just want to thank you that you've acted in this nation. And Lord, our cry is that you would act again. Lord, in these 2020s where there is such this jungle of stuff out there that can so quickly smother and trip us up and is so hostile to your ways. Lord God, I pray, let your church rise with a clear voice. Thank you again for what's happened over youth camps up and down the country this last week and still continues to happen. God, let young people make good decisions. Lord, as Billy Graham did as a 16-year-old, it was to impact millions as he decided to follow you. Lord, even if it's to impact the couple, God, let us all make good decisions, we pray. Fill us, lead us, come convince us of the power of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that you really are the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through you. Write that in our hearts, Lord, we pray. And give us opportunities to share in your name. Amen. 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 Let's worship.